0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Junior Ziegler podcast. If you're crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. The other night, Nicole and I, we were we laying in bed and we were trying to find something to, to watch, you know, stream. And so we're flipping through all the options, which is like the worst, isn't it? He's laying there and you're like trying to find something. It's like 20 minutes later, you're like, whatever, let's just watch The Office again. You know, it's, I, I feel like that's what most people do. But as we were searching through all the different titles, we ran across this show. I don't know if any of you remember this show, Lost. Do you remember that? It's 15 years ago, about. It was when it was a really big show. Now, this was the first show that Nicole and I binge watched when we got married. And, and it's funny, when we saw this title pop up, we both said the same thing at the, at the exact same time. We said, terrible ending, a captivating show. Terrible ending. I don't want to give it away just in case you end up watching it, but it has a terrible (laughs) ending though. Sometimes you don't get the ending that you want. Life is not a Hollywood movie. Sometimes the guy doesn't get the girl. Often there is never a happily ever after. The hero dies or the villain wins or the team loses or the guy doesn't get the girl or the house forecloses. Like Life just sometimes, not just sometimes, life often has just bad endings. That's a sermon for today, let me pray, and we'll get out of here. No, but I mean, for real, Like, let's just set aside all the Hallmark movies for a second and the feel-good, churchy vibes that I know we want to feel. Sometimes endings are terrible. The business fails, you lose your job unethically, and you don't get it back. Breakups happen, the family fractures, and you feel this, you know this, because I would, I would venture to say there's a part of you, part of your life is, is right there just kind of feels like that part of your life is heading into a bad ending. And what happens is you walk through the doors of church, you know, and you try to smile at the greeters, you know, try to look like you have it all together, and you try to sing these songs that we just sang. You know, the band starts out with, all that I know is that you are in control, and, and you sing it, but you're like, I don't really know. Are you really in control, God? Because there's something here in my life that really feels out of control. And then, you know, we open up a scripture, and you try to stay focused, but it's hard because life... Or a part of your life is not turning out the way that you envisioned a long time ago. And you wonder is that part of your life, parenting, career, marriage, is this about to end like a TV show with a bad ending? See, believe it or not, the great John the Baptist felt this deeply, and his ending might just be exactly which you need to read. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, because you grab a Bible. It's page 863 in the Bibles, in the chairs. Luke chapter 7. This is what we do as a church is we grab Bibles and we follow either like a narrative, like a character throughout Scripture, or we'll just take a book of the Bible and so say we'll just like walk through this. But here at the bridge, we're just big on Scripture. This is what we center, I mean, we center on God, but this is His Word, and so this is our final authority. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be. We've been following this character named John the Baptist, this crazy... Wild man looks like he's from REI, wearing chacos, goes to Whole Foods kind of guy, very organic type of man. Wild man, Jesus called him the greatest of really all time. We talked about that last week, being the goat, and so uh, we've just been exploring what was so great about John. John led the way for Jesus, and we're allowing, we're letting him lead the way to Easter this year. Next week we're going to be looking at Palm Sunday, and I'm excited for that because uh, I don't want to give it too much of it away, but. You know, as growing up as a kid, I was always kind of confused about Palm Sunday. Why, why is this something that we celebrate? It's just kind of very weird to me. And so this past week, I've been jumping into Palm Sunday. What really happened on Palm Sunday? Why is it such a big deal? found some really cool stuff. So I just, I can't wait to jump into that next week with you. But we finish up John the Baptist wild this week. And let me pray, and we'll just jump right into this. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that this is your word. And we do believe it is true. And may you remind us that this is from you, that these words have weight to them. The God of this universe have written to us. And so God, may you focus us during this time and may we enter your word humbly, uh, looking to be changed by your word because you will convict during this time. I ask that we listen. I ask that we be open to what you have for us. Pray you open our hearts, Maybe even hearts that haven't been opened to you in a while. And engage our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of scripture zooms in to Luke chapter 7, we find ourselves in a dingy, musty smell that just invades our senses. It's a bit jolting. Our eyes take time to adjust to the dark stone room that we find ourselves in. Rays of light stream through the caged door, providing the only light for this room, Welcome to a first century prison. It's a dungeon. The sound of condensation drips off the blackened ceilings, collecting in little muddy pools all around the room. And you can tell the men in here who have been here for a while, they're skin and bone. Yet there they sit in darkness and filth, waiting for freedom. Either freedom through a miracle of getting out, or freedom through death, but just sitting there and waiting. And there along one of the walls sits a man. He's more unkept than the others. His back leans against the cold, damp wall. His matted, long hair hides part of his face. The camel wool clothing chafes his raw skin. When he speaks, he speaks with the gravel as if he's worn out his voice, because he has. He's a local celebrity. All the fellow inmates in here have heard of him. He's John the Baptist, the great, politically incorrect preacher, the eccentric outdoorsman, the cousin and close friend of Jesus Christ a man who spoke with creativity, power, and conviction. It's this man's voice who thundered through the wilderness of Israel. Yet here he sits, quietly in his thoughts. Feels like ever since that door locked, the depression has fallen over him because he's used to those wide open spaces, the sun and nature, but here he's confined to this dark, closed space until who knows when. And that sort of thing can mess with your head. And so there he sits. That is until visitors arrive. Men standing outside the door yell in, John, his legs stiff from sitting, his back cold and damp. He slowly stands up and walks over to the door, squints and blinks to adjust his eyes to the light coming through the door. And a few familiar faces come into focus. It's his mentees. We pick this up in verse 18. Says, Luke writes, The disciples of John reported all these things to him, all these things. Now, here's, here's what's going on. John is sitting in a jail cell. The, the cell would have been in one of Herod Antipas's palaces. Specifically, we believe his Dead Sea Palace, which would have looked a lot like this right here. Uh, this modern, or I should say, ruins of this, this palace are in modern day Jordan. And recent excavations have uncovered a lot of the palace. You can actually kind of see the Dead Sea off in the distance. This is likely where John the Baptist is sitting in this text. And so John is sitting in a cell in the south. Jesus is up north doing ministry. So John asks his disciples, he says, why don't you go up, check on Jesus' ministry, and report back to me. So these men, they they come back with all of these stories. Like, John, we just got back from Nain. Jesus raised a boy from the dead. Before that, Jesus healed a centurion servant. We heard that he fed 5,000 men up on a hill. The religious leaders, John, they are ticked. John, we wish you could see it all. There's so much happening up in the north. Yet with all of this news, John has a very interesting and somewhat confusing response to all this. His bony fingers wrap around the cell bar and he motions two of his disciples to come closer. Verse 19, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, and here's the question that he has, is very curious. He says, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? That's a very curious response because John, of course he's the one to come. John, you said so yourself. You leapt in your mother's womb when Mary came and was pregnant with Jesus. God told you he was the one. I mean, come on, man. You baptized Jesus. You saw heaven split open. You heard God say, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You yourself said he's the the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not a couple months ago, when the crowds left you, you said, hey, I must decrease and he must increase. John, why are you asking this question? And commentators don't offer much of an answer. And so bear with me, these are just my thoughts. But you ever doubt something that you know to be true? Ever find yourself doing that? I do. I'll be candid, it's kind of embarrassing, but I can get into funks sometimes, especially in January, February, you know, when I'm not like getting outside or in the sun. I tell Nicole that I'm solar powered. Like, if I'm not in the sun, I just I get into these weird funks. Like, for example, I love our church. I love our community. I love our church. Love, love, love our church. What's happening here is incredible. I'm like, stories I've been telling for a long time. I love who I get to work with. But there are some days I'll go to bed thinking, eh, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. You know, I get an email or find out somebody criticized me and I, 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 I like spiral into self pity. It's like, you know, everybody's against me. You know, forget all the wonderful people who encourage me and have my back, It's like, oh, poor me, everybody hates me. I'm cold, there's snow outside, I'm hated, poor me. Seriously, this is what I do, I, and I can't see reality in that moment. I can't see what is true, and I can't see the blessings. You ever get into those funks, or is it just me? I think this is John in this moment, because put yourself in his shoes. He's used to being outside. He's used to using his gift of speaking, sleeping under the stars. All John has known is like wide open spaces, nature, and freedom. He doesn't have any of that now. And to add salt to the wound, he's lived with this excitement of preparing the way for the Messiah, drawing crowds, building up the excitement, sparking this massive movement. He came, he did it well, left it all on the field. Yet there he sits in prison thinking, this is really the end? This is it? He doesn't get to see what he hyped up. He's caged up. He obeyed God's command to a T, and now he's paying for it in prison. I don't blame the guy. Sitting there wondering, like, is this worth it? Because it really doesn't feel like it. Are you really the one, Jesus? Or did you pull one over on me? Is this the life I was supposed to live? And we've all felt that. I mean, maybe... Mom's in here. Maybe you did one of the most selfless things, and you put a career on hold to to raise children. And after a morning of insanity and messes and no appreciation, you just kind of start to wonder, like, this is not what I had imagined. This sucks. This is this really my life? Or you took a risk and you started a business, and after a month of running the numbers, you're going, eh, "This is not what I thought. This venture's not going to end well." Or there's a fracture in the family. Maybe there's some marital issues. You're like, yeah, you know what, I got married and it was fun at first, but now it's just kind of a wet blanket. I don't like being in this. I don't like who I've become. Or there's some in-law drama, and it just kind of weighs heavy on you, and you're just you're sitting here thinking, like, this is, is this really my story? This is the story that I'm writing here on earth? Am I, am I wasting my life? Like, this is John right now. He's sitting in prison, feeling the very same thing deeply. I get this question. And so his disciples take it to Jesus. Look at verse 20. It says, and when the men, so John's disciples, had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who come, or shall we look for another? Now look at verse 21. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Just imagine that. I love verse 21, like to be there, to feel that excitement. Like, there's Jesus. A thick crowd is growing. Family after family weeps, seeing their loved one regain their health, regain movement of their limbs, regain mental states. Moms hold their kids tightly. Dads lift their kids up in the air as tears stream down their face. Just seeing one of these families would make our heart jump out of our chest. This is family after family after family weeping for joy as the crowd cheers this is overwhelming this is like high emotions this right here verse 21 is medicine for the soul and this is exactly what john is missing as he sits in that dark musty waiting room and jesus pauses the process for a moment he says this to his disciples in verse 22 go and tell john what you've seen and heard The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And then Jesus says something very curious, almost as curious as what John, the question John had for him. Jesus says something curious back to him. If you look at verse 23, I'll pull it up here because I love this. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. One of the things, I mean, one of the many, many, many things I so admire about Jesus is Jesus can say a lot using very little words. And this is one of those times. So much brilliance in these few words. And I don't want us to miss it because many times people do. So let's just unpack this right here, this phrase for for a second. But to unpack this phrase, we kind of have to rewind a little bit. See, before Jesus came, before the Messiah came, every Jewish person had this, this vision or this view of what the Messiah was going to be like. And they would talk about this all the time. People would get together and they would speculate. They would even do this in synagogue. The coming Messiah, What's, what's he going to be like? What will be his characteristics? And so some people would think, oh, he's going to be like this warrior king like David. He's going to free Israel from Rome. He's going to rebuild. He's going to be this warrior of a king. Some thought, no, he's going to be more like Moses. He's going to give us new laws. He's going to be this, this crazy leader. Others thought, no, he's going to be more like Elijah, powerful and bold and stand up to people. And so there are all these theories that are are floating around. People just kind of debate, what is this Messiah really going to be like? Jesus comes along as the Messiah, and he breaks everyone's mold. He's not who anyone had really anticipated. He didn't act the way they thought he would act. He didn't say what they thought he would say and how he would say it. He didn't care about what they thought he would care about. He was... traditional, but not really traditional. He wasn't traditional. He wasn't ritualistic, but he also wasn't liberal. He didn't follow rules very well, but he didn't want to come and start a war. His teachings were extremely direct, but he wasn't legalistic. And this is why a lot of people are offended by Jesus, because we want Jesus to be who we expect him to be. And when he's not, that's offensive. It still happens today, right? Everybody wants Jesus to fit into their political ideology. It's why socialists will call Jesus a socialist. I've heard that many times. Well, Jesus was a socialist. I've had, you know, liberals will claim him to be a liberal. Conservatives think he rode an elephant around. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus comes and breaks the mold on all of it. And he ticks everybody off because he is not who anyone built up in their minds. And so Jesus is saying here to John, he's saying, John, I know this is not what you expected. I know this is not what you imagined. I totally get it. Personally, for me, had I been John, I would have expected a ride with Jesus at least. Jesus, come on, man. I did all this for you. I gave you my platform. Can't I at least be your right-hand man? At least make me a disciple of yours. At least let me see what what I got started for you. And Jesus says here, John, I know this venture is not what you expected but happy are you if you keep trusting your blood, sweat, and tears were invested and it was worth it. Happy are you if you are not offended because it's harder than you expected. Look around, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Don't let this discouragement blind you from reality. And I love what Jesus is doing here. He knows John and in the same way he knows you and he knows me. He knows that we can let a bad morning ruin our whole day, right? Right? We can let a bad day ruin our whole week. We can let a bad week ruin our whole month. He knows that discouragement, the discouragement we face, blinds us to reality. And so in a loving and gracious way, Jesus says, hey, I know you're discouraged. It's okay. But look at reality. Don't let your discouragement blind you to reality. And I wonder if Jesus is saying the exact same thing to you. Hey, your career isn't what you dreamed of. Marriage isn't, you know, what you hoped for. Kids aren't what you thought it would be. And I wonder if Jesus is saying the same thing to you in this very text. I know this is not what you imagine, but happy are you if you keep doing good. Happy are you if you keep pressing in. Happy are you if you don't grow weary. Happy are you, it is worth it. Yes, there's brokenness all around us. Families are torn, job stress, health issues, Kids issues, financial struggles, anxiety, depression, confusion. A lot of us know it all. But make no mistake, the day is coming when the brokenness will be fixed. Every tear will be wiped. You might feel like you're stuck in a cell right now. Jesus says, keep doing good. Happy are you who are not offended because what I called you to is far more difficult than what you imagined. Don't let your discouragement blind you to reality. Keep Pressing in. See, what Jesus has called you to, whether it's staying married, leading your family, producing at work, serving, parenting, blessing, representing God, it's often terribly discouraging. It is so worth it. Happy are you who do not give up as you push. It's beautiful words from Jesus. And I love how Jesus deals with John. Jesus doesn't give John false hope. You don't see that anywhere here. Like, oh, John, you, don't worry, man. You're going to get out, okay? I'm God. I can get you out, bro. Also, you're like one of my best friends. So, hey, man, I got you. I'll, I'll get you out. And that's often what we want from God, isn't it? Isn't it often like what we expect after we pray to God about something? God, can you just like magically fix my marriage? Can I just like wake up tomorrow and he's like actually stepping up as a man? Or God, can you just like, can I just wake up tomorrow and she's like less of a headache? Could you just like magically fix this? Like God, can you uh, just magically bring me more business? Kind of magically make my boss less of a, t- of a tyrant? Hey, next reunion, God, next family reunion, can you just like make everybody magically get along? And I'm not saying that never happens. Sometimes that happens, but often it doesn't. And case in point, John the Baptist here. John doesn't, Jesus doesn't go down to John in the south and, hey, I'm going to lead a march and we're going to miraculously open up the cell doors and John's going to run out. Jesus could have done that but he doesn't. Instead, Jesus here allows John to continue down this path that has a terrible ending, and I want to read that terrible ending. Look at uh, Flip over to Matthew chapter 14. I know we're skipping around, but Matthew chapter 14. Just flip, um, it would be earlier in scripture. Matthew chapter 14, the very first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 6, and this is Matthew actually picks up the story here. This is how the four gospel accounts work together. They complement each other in this way. The four different writers, they give different dimensions to a narrative. And so Matthew kind of picks up where Luke leaves off a bit. A few weeks ago, just to kind of catch us up, a few weeks ago, we saw John the Baptist when he was free. He calls out King Herod for stealing his brother's wife. So it was like this big scandal in Israel. This is like shocking news for, for Jewish people, like their king married his brother's wife. This is weird. So big scandal. John gets up, publicly calls him out, and John finds himself in prison for it. And Herod kind of feels stuck. Herod wants to kill John, but he's already in hot water with the people because this scandal has ruined his political ratings, his approval ratings, so to speak. So there's like this, this political game happening here. His subjects are mad at him. If he were to kill John, there could be a riot. So Herod's sitting on his throne, and John's just in prison, and Herod's trying to figure out what's going on. Verse 6 is where this story picks up in Matthew uh, chapter 14. Verse 6, it says, but when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that, this is verse 7, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. This is a little bit confusing, isn't it? Uh, My daughters right now are at the age where they do a show for me and my wife in the living room periodically and they they make their own costumes. Here, you, you can see a leopard and a monkey and an elephant. And so they put on like little shows and they'll like make their own little tickets and they'll label the chairs for Nicole and I to come sit down. They even have concessions for us and they do a show. And sometimes these shows last a very, very long time. And maybe I'm just not generous or maybe they're just not good enough, but I've never said to them, hey, that was such a great show. I will give you whatever you ask." I've never said that to him. So like we look at this, we're like, okay, so Herod's daughter comes in, gives a show. He's like, whatever you ask. Now, many have speculated that Herod's daughter is dancing seductively here. Uh, Herod's family had been and is perverted. And so it's not a stretch to think that Herod asks for a saucy show for his friends. Maybe. But that's just speculation. We do know that dancing was a very common form of entertainment for many cultures during this time, including Jewish uh, festivals. So it's possible that this dance was an appropriate dance. What is likely is that the room is smashed. It's a party for a king. High-end wine is flowing. Herod is a king. He's not pacing himself. It's his birthday. He's just going for it. And so after the performance, my guess is he's plastered and just promises the moon, whatever you want. And the the request makes a little bit more sense when you know that there's probably likely wine involved at this point or, or alcohol involved at this point. But regardless, this girl now has this blank check from a very wealthy powerful man. What would you do? One of the richest men in the area gives you a blank check. Like what do you do? Like she could request a palace. She could request a trip. If it were me, I'd ask for like a boat. Hey, I want one of your ships. Give me one of your ships. Or maybe like a team of servant servants. Like this is a big decision. What do I what do I ask? So she runs to mom. She says, "Mom, what what should I get?" And mom then manipulates. And this is such terrible parenting, but it actually happens all the time is mom tries to get what she wants through her daughter. And so instead of the daughter getting personal success from this, mom manipulates to get the head of John the Baptist. You think about this, what a way to go if you're John, right? Sitting in prison while the greatest thing in the world is happening, unfolding right outside, and then I get the ax because a drunk king and the queen, a manipulative Jezebel, is running the palace. Like, this is how I go? It's a terrible ending. We continue on, verse nine. And the king was very sorry, but because of his oaths, and his guest, he commanded it to be given. Verse 10, he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. You can just see the toxic family dynamics. Daughter benefits nothing from this. So she brings it to mom. And then verse 12 is really the end of John's story. And the disciples came, took the body, and buried it. I'm sorry, it's a terrible ending. I know it's scripture. But come on, let's be real, it's a terrible ending. A drunk king, a manipulative, controlling mom, and a teenage girl, and they win? That's how the greatest of all time, as Jesus said, dies? That's a terrible ending. And how many of us fear a similar ending in part of our life? Had so much hope in this marriage. We used to be so in sync. We used to have so much fun together. But now she's just a wet blanket, he doesn't really try. And your marriage now feels like the prison that you're sitting in and you're pretty sure that it's about to lose its head, and it looks like your marriage is gonna be a bad ending. Or you invested so much in your kids, you put a career on hold, you ran them to their events, and you tried as much as possible to get them out to church, you tried to be a good parent, and now you're watching them ruin their life and and, and with people that they shouldn't be with. And you wonder, is this really the story of our family? Or you put it all on the line, you started that business, you took this job, but the economy seems to be about to be beheading your dreams. Or the doctor gives you that dreaded word, hey, it's cancer. And you have a lot of life ahead of you. But after a lot of treatments, you're exhausted and you're wondering just how much fight you have left in you. You can't help but think, is this really how this ends? Like this? At this age? My guess is there's a part of your life where you're feeling that a little bit. It's life. A few lessons from a bad ending. Number one, it's okay to be discouraged sometimes. It's okay to be discouraged sometimes. John was. John was discouraged. I don't blame him, nor did Jesus blame him. some of the greats in scripture were discouraged. I think of like King David, Elijah, Paul, they got discouraged. Like, if you're really going to do what God has asked you to do, to step up, to lead, to push, to bring a piece of heaven to earth, it's going to be hard. If it is never hard, if your walk with Jesus is never hard, you are not pushing hard enough. Discouragement is just part of life. And what God has called you to, there will be discouragement, and it is okay. It is not a sin to be down sometimes. Now, it is not okay to live there. God created you to be more than some melancholy victim. God pushes you past the discouragement. He wants you to get back up, to keep swinging, to keep pushing, to keep pressing, to lead out. If you've decided to follow Jesus, God lives in you. You have the spirit of power. But God also knows you're gonna get knocked down sometimes. There will be times and days, even seasons, where you're just going to feel it, and it's okay. Discouragement is not a sin. Now, being led by your discouragement is. Constantly airing your discouragement is. Whining all the time is. But feeling it is okay. It's natural. Number two, bad things happen to obedient people. Great sermon so far, Junior. It's okay to be discouraged. Bad things are going to happen to you. Welcome to the bridge. This is just what we do. But I mean, it is true though. It is true. It was true with John. He's obedient. He's imprisoned. He's imprisoned. He's beheaded. You can be obedient, follow Jesus, and still have bad things happen to you. One of the biggest false teachings today in the church, and it's like just spreading like wildfire, um, especially in Africa, is that um, it's called prosperity theology. And that is that God is out to make your wildest dreams come true. God just wants to make you healthy and wealthy. The problem with that is is it's totally wrong. And here's why. Because our faith is based on the worst thing happening to the best person. Our faith is based on the worst thing happening to the best obedient person. Jesus was obedient, and he still endured the cross. His disciples were obedient, obedient, and they were murdered. If we claim to follow Jesus, bad things will happen in our obedience, It's a painful concept, but it can also come as an encouragement. Just because you're facing something hard doesn't mean you've done everything wrong. Bad things happen to obedient people, but it's worth it. Take heart. Don't grow weary. It is worth it. Number three is we won't see our impact on this side of eternity. And this is huge. You will not see your impact on this side of eternity. There's a song when I was a kid. We're not going to play it. I can't remember the full song. And it's probably like cheesy 80s synthetic keys and bells, you know, from the 80s. But I heard it a lot riding in my my parents' 1990 Dodge Caravan, you know, like the wood paneling. Remember those vans? I heard that song a lot sitting in the back. And, And the lyrics to this song were, it was a cool story. The song was about the story of a man. He dies, he goes to heaven, and he's like, just this no-name man, you know, lived a simple, quiet life, and he gets to heaven, and he's walking in heaven, and someone comes up to him, and he says, hey, thank you. It's because you taught my Sunday school class that I'm actually here. I know it seemed like none of us were listening when you taught our class, but I was, and and you showed me who God was, so I just want to thank you. And then someone else comes up and says, "Uh, yeah, you gave money to a project, and I was one of those people that that project helped, and I heard about Jesus, and you funded that project. And so person after person comes up, and suddenly there's like this line of people to this no-name guy, thanks to his faithfulness, that, hey, I'm here partly because of what what you did on earth. He didn't see his full impact on this side of eternity, but he got to the other side, he saw it. I think of, when I think of this, I think of this this woman named uh, Penny Schmidt. She was my, she was like, so I didn't go to the bridge because I grew up in Wisconsin, but she was like my bridge kids teacher when I was in like fourth and fifth grade, and just the sweetest older lady, and I was the most annoying kid. I know it's hard for you to imagine, but I was just the most annoying, hard-to-deal-with kid, and she'd always, like, you know, we'd always do every week, we'd have a small group, and, you know, she'd take us and talk through stuff and memorize verses. I'd just goof around the the whole time, but once I got, you know, through high school and uh, past college, for some reason, like, Penny Schmidt, just her love made such a big impact on my life. Even though I goofed off the entire time, just her love and how she taught and the stories, I still remember, I still remember that she made a big impact on my life. This last summer, I I saw her at my grandma's funeral. And I said, oh, Penny, you know, I I think about you a lot. She's like, really? I was like, yeah, because just the impact you made on me when I was a little kid. And she's like, well, you goofed off the whole time. You didn't listen at all. I was like, I know, but you still made like this huge impact on my life. And you think about like Penny Schmidt. I mean, you've never met the lady. Just, just a, a, a very simple older lady. And yet her impact is not just me, but now her impact is, is going to a whole, a whole church because now we're talking about her. You never know your impact on this side of eternity. You never know your, the impact that you are having. And that's a wonderful reminder when we're facing discouragement and feeling like a bad ending is coming somewhere. This is why counselors will often counsel people who are addicted or Uh, people who are hurting, kind of feeling like, you know, this life isn't worth it, kind of depressed. A lot of times counselors will then counsel the people, why don't you go and serve somebody? Go make an impact somewhere. Kind of feel like, hey, your addiction's got the best of you or your marriage is killing you or you're just kind of feeling useless. The best thing you can do is go make an impact somewhere. Serve somewhere. Sacrifice somewhere because it's that impact that lifts you out of that hyper-focus on that one part of your life that isn't working out so well. Serving kind of zooms you out. And some of you have experienced this, right? You had a long week, and then you serve. And then you think, like, okay, business might be failing, but like that's just a small piece of my life. I'm making an impact here and here and here. Like, okay, yeah, marriage is a drag, and it needs a lot of work, but, and I'm working on that, but I'm making a huge impact over here. We won't see our impact on this side of eternity. So let's not judge our life and what God has done and is doing through us based on an earthly venture that isn't working out so well. You will not see your impact on this side of eternity. And then number four is our end is never the end. Our end is never the end. The core of our problems in life is that we forget about eternity. I'll say that again, because that's just been like hanging with me all week, but I really do believe that. The core of our problems in life is that we forget about eternity. The tensions we have in marriage, the tensions we have with family, the tensions we have with friends, it's all this, the core of it is we just forget about eternity, and then we hyperfocus. We are so quick to put periods where God puts commas. Oh, this marriage is done. These kids are lost. Oh, I'm bankrupt. Okay, maybe, but how many God stories start where we believe the story stops? It's the gospel. This is what our mind does though, right? So quickly, we just call things. Like you think you know how this is going to end because you can't see any other way. But as a people of God, we must always leave room for him in our stories. And even if this is how it ends here, it doesn't reflect the ending in eternity. Scripture tells us that every tear will be wiped every tear will be wiped. And to be candid with you, I don't know how that works. I've said that to people when they're like, going through pain, you know, hey, every tear will be wiped. I don't know how that works though. It doesn't quite make sense to me. Like as your pastor, I wish I could get up here and give you like wonderful words and like just make sense of what you're going through. Like, gosh, I wish I could do that right now. Just make sense of the pain that you're going through. And then you would leave this auditorium, like this grand vision for this painful road that you're walking. I'd love nothing more than to just take that pain away or at least make sense of it to you. I can't. I can't tell you all often. I just don't even know what to say. And maybe that's a horrible thing to admit as a pastor, but it's just true. Meet with people and it's like, I don't even know what to say here. It just sucks. And I wish I could make sense of it. But I guess this is where faith comes in, isn't it? Part of our lives may not pan out the way we hoped. these unrealized dreams and these ventures that seem to be a waste or this deep pain or this confusion. And it's times like these that we just have nothing else to hold on to that we hold on to the promises of God because it's all we really got. We have a God who makes beauty out of brokenness. We have a God who won't let pain go to waste. And when it doesn't make sense, we can remember it doesn't have to make sense as much as we want it to make sense, it doesn't have to make sense. I, I feel like so many people, and I've done this, we just put so much pressure on ourselves. Like, this story, this thing that's not working out, like, I, I got to make sense of all this. I got to know what God is doing here. It's like, we, it doesn't have to make sense. We follow a God who is far above our thoughts, whose ways are so far, far higher than our ways. His plan is more beautiful than our fallen minds can even imagine and see. And so it just doesn't have to make sense to us right now but we can rest in the fact that this is not the end, where we put a period, God puts a comma, and he's up to something far greater. But in the meantime, I do know that God meets you where you're at. He walks with you. He hurts with you. And I know that doesn't make it any better. But come on, it's far more than we deserve, isn't it? It's far more than we could ask for. And that's something that we can hold on to. You ever hear the story of how uh, the Apostle Peter died? I know, talk about terrible endings. This sermon was almost like, okay, this sermon's all about here's how a guy died, now here's how another guy died. I I get it, it's like one of the worst sermons, but just, just go with me here for a second. It's pretty well known. And told story that the apostle Peter was crucified upside down. He felt unworthy to die in the way that Jesus did. And so he asked uh, to be crucified upside down and they were happy to oblige his request. But there's a, a bigger part to that story that's, that's more lesser known. It's been recorded that Peter's wife was murdered first, that she was actually crucified first. And Rome wanted Peter to watch his wife die, to be the last thing he sees before putting him to death. Peter's wife Think about that girl. That girl's legit. I can't wait to meet her one day. That girl is legit when you think about her story. When Jesus was doing ministry, he called Peter's house home, which meant bringing in 12 other regular guests all the time. So that's a lot of house guests all the time. This girl had to be so busy making beds and preparing meals and washing dishes and cleaning linens and constantly answering the door when people are asking, is Jesus here? Like It's just a very rare, special, special girl. She had a bad ending. The story goes, because she refused to recant her faith, they led her out, they dragged her out to nail her to a cross. And as the brutal soldiers were dragging her toward the cross, they forced Peter to watch. And as they held him back with eyes filled with tears, I'm sure his voice cracking as he called out, he just said, honey, just remember Jesus. Just remember Jesus. The truth is, she didn't have to remember Jesus for very long. Because minutes later, he wiped the tears from her eyes. And her ending is considered to be the worst. But I think that if she were here, she would disagree. And she would tell you it wasn't that bad of an ending. Because that end wasn't the end. And it's the same with John the Baptist the moment his head was lifted off him, all he felt was God lifting up his head and saying, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, endings here are neither here nor there because endings here are never the end. And so let's stop hyper-focusing on what we believe might be the end and freaking out, It's never the end. Though we often lack faith, the author never lacks ink. There's more to the story that he's writing. But in the meantime, Jesus Christ says to you, blessed are you who are not offended by this life's endings. It is never the end. And so we fix our eyes beyond what we can see. And it doesn't quite make sense to us But we have faith that God is great, that God is good, and our endings just need to end at him. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.